Welcome to the Cross the Line Podcast. My name is Carlos Smith, and today's episode is sponsored by Charlene's Home Cooking on 1136 East Blackstock Road in Moore, South Carolina. Charlene's Home Cooking is a family restaurant that cooks like grandma. Fresh veggies, meats cooked to order. You can do two meat, a meat with two sides, a meat with three sides, or a veggie plate, along with sweet tea, Kool-Aid, and lemonade. Cakes, pies, and cobbler are also available for dessert. She wants you to feel at home anytime, so make sure you visit her on Monday, Thursday, and Saturday from 11 to 6, and Friday and Sunday from 11 to 7. Everything is fresh and from the heart, and she would love to see you. So make sure you guys stop by there and visit Miss Charlene on 1136 East Blackstock Road. Um, now, today we have another very special guest with us. This gentleman is an entrepreneur and an educator, and I'm looking forward to this session right here. So none other than Dr. Walt Lee. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks um, for having oh, me. Oh, thank you for joining us. Um, so starting out, um, I can't even remember how we actually uh, ended up, you know, connecting online. But I'm I very, I'm, I'm very happy that that we were able to finally um, coordinate our schedule so we could sit down and talk. So just starting out, can kind of tell people like, where are you from? I am from a small town in the Low Country. Um, it's called Utahville. Have you ever heard of it? Never heard of it. Never heard of it. And you probably won't see it off the interstate unless you're on 95. There's a small sign. They added it to the exit with Santee. Mm-hmm. But it's the side where I am. It's closer to Charleston than it is Orangeburg. Okay. Um, I grew up in the country, and still we don't have cell phone service. No cell phone service. Mm-mm. So you're down in the, down yeah, in the woods. You, you, you're behind God's back, as my grandma would refer to it. I thought we were uh, down like like that. Um, I'm, I'm actually from Jonesville. It's a very okay. small town, like down by Union. It's um, okay. but we do have cell phone service. Mm-hmm. You can get service. But you know, there there are certain pockets, right. and it's those pockets where you have to kind of stay in one section in order not to lose service. Mm-hmm. So you're sitting at that one part of the house. That's where we are right by now. But how how was that down there, like growing up, like for you, like was it? You know, we didn't realize how limited it was at the time. Limited in terms of like resources and businesses and um, thriving industries right around the area. Didn't have that, but mm-hmm. we did have a sense of community. We did have a strong sense of family. Mm-hmm. Um, in the absence of cell phone and cell phone services, I can still hear the echoes of my parents, aunts, uncles, and grandparents going out of the house and yelling across what we would call the branch to get someone else's attention. So it was a sense of community, a sense of unity um, that was all embedded there in that area of Utahville where I live. Yeah. And I guess to a certain degree, like you were talking about a little bit, it made your family, um, I guess to a certain degree, kind of closer because of mm-hmm. how small small and close-knit you guys were. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like you said, it's not that much down there. Right. So I guess There are churches, though. Yeah. There are churches and in that section in Utahville where I was, there's a, a small grocery store that everybody knows is Watches. It's no Watches. longer open now, but Watch. Everybody would go to Watch grocery store to get their pig feet mm-hmm. and pickled eggs and all those sorts of kind of things that I don't eat now. But it was mm-hmm. good then. Back then, yeah. It was good then. It's good old country. And so what, what school did you actually go to um, college-wise? College. Mm-hmm. So I started at Claflin University and actually finished there for my undergrad. And then I did all my graduate studies at Clemson. At Clemson, okay. Now, was that a kind of like a culture shock going from like a small town and then going to college? Was it was it to a hard transition? Yeah. Well, actually, to Clemson, you know, going from like a small area to like a bigger, you know. Not so much so in terms of like a, 
in terms of the school, not really. Because mm-hmm. while I was at Claflin, I was doing um, internships through Call Me Mister um, that was at Claflin. And I was doing the internships at Clemson. And Call Me Mister is a recruitment um, program for minority males to go into education. Mm-hmm. Since at the time when it was started in 2000, less than 2% of public school teachers were black males. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had, had already had exposure through Call Me Mister of Clemson's campus. So by the time it was time for grad school, I didn't have issues adjusting. Right. The culture shock was in how people did life or, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to go to the store and we call it rice pudding, but I'm learning that people call it Liverpool. I'm not sure about that. Okay. Well, when I Never came up there asking for it and they were like, rice pudding, yeah, I'll make you some. I was like, great, you make it? What do you put in? And she said, I have rice and I do some vanilla pudding and milk. I was like, no, we're not talking about the same thing. So the way people cook, mm-hmm. prepare food, the culture of life, it was really different. And did it really take different. you long to transition to, like, get used to it? or was it? No, not really. It didn't, really, it didn't take long. What, what did you take up in school? Education. Middle-level education. Then I furthered myself in grad school. I got my MED and, and, and EDS in educational leadership for school administration. And then educational leadership for higher ed. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you feel like that you get from... An HBCU as opposed to any other university. Listen, there is no comparison for an HBCU. Talk about it. No comparison. Like when while I was at Claflin, and then there's Benedict and SC State and there's Morris. So you have all these options here in South Carolina. Um, we had a close-knit relationship with our professors. Mm-hmm. It was nothing to just drop into a professor's office or as we call kicking on the yard. Mm-hmm. Um Going to class every day was like going to a fashion show because Mm -hmm. everybody was, for the most part, at their best. It was when I went to other schools where I realized, wait a minute, y'all wear basketball shorts and T-shirts and tights and stuff. No, we don't do that. Clapping, you got to dress up. They, they, They tried to groom us for excellence and exceptionalism in a professional environment. And y'all were right beside state as well. Right so. beside state. Now, but although we were right beside state, you we can had see some a experiences down in state. There's a difference between a Claflin student and a, and a SC State student, as people have told me, um, in terms of presentation, um, decorum, mannerism. That's what they say. I, I can't necessarily mm-hmm. solidify it. I've been down there. Um, well, I, I actually I went to school at USC Upstate, so mm-hmm. I'm a Spartan. But you know, I had a best friend, one of my best friends. He went to state, so we would go down there uh, for home. Went down there for homecoming. To I was just now about to say homecoming. There is no homecoming like an HBCU homecoming. No, it was not. Homecoming starts the week before homecoming. I went to Clemson for homecoming. Mm-hmm. Homecoming started the Friday before. They had the parade, and I was like, "This is cute." And then. The Saturday, they had the game and the game and the festivities. And then after that, it was over. And I was like, this wasn't homecoming. What happened to yeah. Spirit Week? And our our homecoming at Upstate is nothing like state. Mm-hmm. Man, it was, I mean, from state, they had stuff going on all week long. Mm-hmm. But at Upstate, it was just kind of pretty much, we were just waiting for the weekend just to, to party mm-hmm. and have a good time. All week, all week. You never knew what was, no, you didn't know. You could plan it. You had comedy shows, you had concerts, you have outdoor eating, you had yard shows. I mean, it was always a lot going on on an HBCU campus. Mm -hmm. And I I enjoyed it, man. That was some of the best times that we had. It was just, it was just so much stuff going on. Mm -hmm. But um, did you all, did when you were while you were in school, did you always know that you wanted to be in education? Mm -hmm. It was. Um, 
I, so my freshman year, I had a hard time deciding because I didn't get into a program that I wanted to get into to help pay for school. Mm-hmm. So I made a decision to switch my major and try business and try music and try religion mm-hmm. and philosophy. So I just started taking all these courses and then I solidified, made a decision um, in during my sophomore year that I certainly wanted to do education. Because I, I have a, I always tell people that no, Knowing what I know now, I kind of look at school a little bit differently. I definitely feel like education is a great thing, but for me, when I went, it was I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just I just felt like after high school, like I was just supposed to go to college. Like that's what you're supposed to do. You graduate and then you go to college and then you go get a job. So for me, I didn't necessarily know what I wanted. I was just kind of like living in a moment and doing things on the fly. It wasn't until pretty much my senior year when I my internship in sports is when I kind of started getting a feel of the broadcasting and, yeah. and the journalism. That's what I was like. I knew I wanted to do to do more of that. Do you feel like, and I ask because I ask a lot of people, do you feel like it's a lot of pressure like on kids early on to figure out what they want to do mm-hmm. in life? And, and, you know, to some degree, it's pressure that's a bit unwarranted, mm-hmm. pressure that comes without um, substantial exposure. You know, education and its notable right as we have it now, um, education should be about exposing so that students, children, youth, young people, people at large can figure out where it is they can see themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of pressure on students at 17, 16, 18 to figure out what it is they're supposed to be doing in the face of people who tell them that you have two options, college and college. Um, For many, college is not at the forefront of their minds. Um, For others, taking up a trade and launching a business may be the best bet. Um, For some others, going into the military might be what's best for them. Um, but often we don't have, we, me to some degree, um, did not know exactly what it was I and others want to do until we get out and get exposed. Right. And unfortunately, the education system doesn't always provide those kind of experiences. Do you feel like a lot of that pressure comes from, would you say, more parents? Because sometimes parents didn't have the opportunity to go to school or, or teachers adding that pressure onto it? Or do you think it's kind of just self-imposed from like the student just putting that pressure on themselves to no i think that it's it's a, a myriad of different elements you got parents you have community members you have leaders you have commercials go to go to, the, the guidance counselors you have it's so many elements and so it's hard to pinpoint one mm-hmm. that says that it's causing it but then it also causes frustration at the same time right and but the th- and the thing about it is of course you can't tell kids. School is not for everybody, but a teacher can't say, you know, school. I can tell school is not for you. You don't need to go to college. So what, what would you tell kids like in that kind of situation if they came to you and say, Dr. Walt, I don't know if school is necessarily for me. What do, you, what do you tell a kid in that kind of situation? I probably wouldn't tell them anything. I'd probably ask them questions. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions that I find myself asking students is, what would you do if you had no fear? What would you do if you had no bills? The answer to that question is typically what bills stop them from doing and what fear stops them from doing. 
So getting to the root, the gut of what they appreciate most about life and what they could bring in terms of making life better for other people. I think that is particularly what they want to do. And often we get, you know, conflicted with media and the different roles that are put in front of us. Mm -hmm. And listen, I didn't know I could be an engineer. I didn't have it in front of me. I didn't know. And I wasn't, you know, pre-exposed to readings about engineering. All I knew was, you know, back in the beginning, preacher, teacher, doctor, lawyer. And in the absence of exposure, some people feel like that's their only option. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we talk about it a lot. When we were in school, we didn't necessarily hear the word entrepreneur a lot. Yeah. They didn't really talk to us about, you know, running our own business or being an entrepreneur. It was always, of course, you could, you want to be some of the people you see on TV, athletes, entertainers, or like you said, a police or, or a teacher or a doctor mm-hmm. or a lawyer. But never, entrepreneur never really came up a lot. In, in school. And I have concerns about that because I know a lot of people who major in business and fail at entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Why is it that some of the best entrepreneurs are people who never even studied business? Mm-hmm. In fact, people who study business, they become the leaders of businesses that already exist. Mm-hmm. But then you have foreigners from different countries that come in and start businesses, plant it in the right the ABC stores, particular gas stations, particular hair stores. They come in and plant restaurants in particular communities, and it takes off. Why is it that they're able to do that? And then people here study business and struggle with it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't hear about entrepreneurship. It was just always somewhat of a drive for me to tap into. Exactly. And and going to the business part with teachers, of course, I I don't want to say teachers don't deserve that opportunity because they absolutely do. But do you find it kind of strange to a certain extent that, at times, we can have teachers that teach a business class, but they don't necessarily know how to run a business. So is that kind of like, do you do you think it's kind of strange? I mean, it's not, it's not required, but do you feel like it would be better to have teachers that, that run an actual business that can kind of give them more hands-on experience? Yeah, them? you know, they can teach. It depends on the framework of the class. Mm-hmm. Is it theoretical information or is it practical information? Right. Um, And so that is where evaluation from my standpoint would start. Um, Is the teacher supposed to be offering um, practical strategies for business? Things that, and you don't even have to have a business. You just got to have access to good information Mm -hmm. and understand how to relate. That's the art of teaching. Not knowing a darn blasted thing about everything that you're teaching, but being willing to dive into the content, dive into information in order to present it to someone that causes a light bulb to go off. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they have to have a business. Right. And like you said, it's just the uh, sometimes, like you said, with education, those resources, I mean, it's got a little bit of a different topic, but like the kids in certain areas, they don't have access to their information because of. And they don't have the, the resources because of the you know those impoverished areas, mm-hmm. so they don't they're not necessarily getting the access to the kind of information that they need. Mm-hmm. But I'm I want to ask you this: We're gonna stay on uh, education, then we're, we're absolutely gonna get to your product. We definitely want to learn more about that. But as a teacher, how how do you when you look at it now? How do you feel about our educational system? That's from, work from to do. Elementary all the way up to college. Got a lot of work to do. Made a lot of progress. Mm-hmm. Um, Others would argue 
that there has been no progress made. Um, their their argument may be rooted in the the outcomes of Brown versus Board of Education, um, in that um, schools had to desegregate. However, the community was disrupted. Communication within the community was disrupted, and trust was then put into the hands of people who did not necessarily know the community in order to educate. And so to some degree, I do see the impact that Brown versus Board of Education has negatively had on school communities. However, I do believe that we have made some progress of being able to get resources into particular schools, into communities. So, I mean, there is there has been a lot of progress. Mm -hmm. We still have a lot of work to do. Yeah, I actually... Um I interviewed this young lady. Uh, her name was uh, Taylor Spencer earlier this year, and she 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 began as a teacher. She she likes to call herself an educator, but she she felt like the school system was shortchanging children. So she ended up leaving the school system, and now she has a. She it was at the time it was called a tumble, but she changed the name of it now. Mm -hmm. But it was kind of like a different way of, excuse me, educating kids and, and teaching different ways to learn. And like she was saying. She felt like also, like we were saying with entrepreneurship, she felt like we should at least give children that exposure to entrepreneurship. Like they might not want you to expose them to it, they might not choose it, but at least they have that concept that they know that they can go that route as well. So do you feel like that's something they should also implement into school systems, mm -hmm. entrepreneurship? Absolutely. Entrepreneurship. And uh, I would say getting out of the walls of the classroom. Mm -hmm. Getting out of the walls of the classroom is so, so important. Actually meeting people, mm -hmm. um, learning how to exist in a multi-complex society. Because mm -hmm. I, I feel like for with, with the school system, like you were saying, we were talking about like the entrepreneurship and everything. I, I just felt like it was, it was still so much more. Like when I graduated, I just felt like, man, I have a degree. But to, for some reason, I still felt like I was just shortchanged. But I was like... It was just so much stuff that they they put in the curriculum that we didn't even need, like mm -hmm. like uh, like geometry and astrology, and I had art history and, and music. It's like that kind of stuff like that. I didn't. I never used that when I was at the college. I never even used that stuff again. So you you feel like that's something they could kind of narrow down, kind of cut that stuff out, and get directly to what you're in in school for. There are different schools that you can choose. Number one, the reason why some people feel that way. Um, they also choose to attend liberal arts institution mm -hmm. and liberal arts suggests that you have exposure to a range of different topics um, prior to. And mm -hmm. so you get to choose what school you go to. Um, in some cases, people feel as though it's a waste, waste of time, waste of money. Mm -hmm. um, but there's some value in it, some value in it. Being able to recognize an art piece or a form of art and to be able to expand the depth of your conversation with people you may not know. What was the biggest thing that you took away from, from school? What was the biggest skill that you actually learned while you were in school? Self-development. 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 It, it was a whole lot bigger than, you know, um, your common reading, writing, arithmetic, um, or English courses. Um, it was self-development, and self-development that relied on the works of previous writers, because my what I was um, positioning myself to teach was English and, and history and social studies. Um, so looking at essays from the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 
um, and using that as a tool in order to develop a better me. Mm-hmm. So self-development has definitely been the part that I've learned from my schooling experience. I want to ask you this as well before I forget it. Um, going to HBCU, did, did they teach you guys more of like black history and, and more of our culture as opposed to to where other schools teach you because uh, the gentleman we interviewed recently, they were they were saying the same things. Like we were telling them, you know, they ta- of course they taught us about Dr. King and, and, and Rosa Parks and Harry Tubman, but they didn't teach us about all of our ancestors. Did you feel like going to HBCU, they taught you more in depth about some of our ancestors as opposed to um, like, had you went anywhere else? Absolutely. So one of the um, professors that I had Uh, Dr. Millicent Brown, Mm -hmm. she was actually one of the cases that contributed to the Brown versus Board of Education case. Now, she Mm -hmm. is not the Brown of Topeka, um, Topeka, Kansas, 1954. That wasn't her, but she had a different court case in Charleston. So she had firsthand experience of desegregation of schools. Mm -hmm. So that, and and that's big. I was like, so that's like the general were saying, they were actually, they fought the Vietnam War mm-hmm. and they came back. And so they were telling us how they were segregated and seen some of our people, you know, beaten and, and hung. And, and they, they seen some of the stuff hands on. So it's like, that's the kind of stuff like they don't really tell us everything right, about right. about our own history. That's something else I would love to see um, implemented in schools. But um, we're going to kind of transition a little bit. What is the... the the connection between your educational background along with your business. So I'm, I'm really passionate about teaching, just sharing information. I'm mm-hmm. passionate about seeing people become better versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my mentors, Dr. James Reese, who's here in Spartanburg, mm-hmm. um, you may know him from the Black History Choir Fest or something. I think that is the MLK mm-hmm. Choir. Mm-hmm. He does it at the Chapman, that's not the Chapman Culture Center, mm-hmm. but it's at the, um, by Krispy Kreme. Oh, it's Fumberg Auditorium? Yes, he does it there every year. He told me something that changed my life. He said, I just want to be the best at making people better. Mm. And I think that's the connection between the work that I do and um, my skincare products, bettering Mm. self-care, my resume writing, bettering self-care. And then even in my classroom, while I'm teaching teachers to be teachers, um, it's all about equipping them, giving them tools, giving them resources, giving them information so that they can be better. Did you grow up in a family of, of entrepreneurs? Yeah. Or you kinda... know what? I kind of did, but I didn't know what it was at the time. We didn't say entrepreneurs. We just said he worked for himself. Mm. So maybe that's that's the that's right. the crossover. Maybe the term right. entrepreneur in smaller communities weren't popular. We just said he works for himself. Yeah, that's so true. So there were beauticians, because now we call them stylists, or, mm-hmm. or hair, hairdressers. Yeah. Um, family members who were brick masons, um, contractors. My dad himself was a carpenter, is still a carpenter. Um, so I now that you ask the question and I really think about it, entrepreneurship in my childhood doesn't ring a bell. But working for themselves does ring a bell. Yeah, when you, when now we're talking about it, you, you're absolutely right. Like you said, beauticians and mm-hmm. barbers. And, mm-hmm. uh, we have uh, uh, contractors in our family. Like people, like uh, my uncle, he had his own lawn care business. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, that's what I'm saying. Like, we, we never use the word entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. but, you know, it kind of, we saw it. But I mm-hmm. guess we just, like you said, we never really, really used that word. 
But um, let's let's talk about impactful enterprises. Um, what is? Can you come talk a little bit about impactful enterprises? I started impactful enterprises when I was unemployed mm -hmm. because I was like, there has to be a way for me to share this part of myself, the innovative part, the part that wants to help people, the part that wants to reach out. When I started Impactful Enterprises, it was simply based on two elements, because I wanted to do motivational apparel, but I was good at resume writing. When I wrote resumes, people you know, got some jobs, got some interviews, got results, got outcomes. And I was like, wait a minute, because if you're getting a job off of my work, I want more than just a salmon dinner. Absolutely. Okay, so you're going to have to pay me for the work I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So it led to me starting in 2017, January 1 specifically, um, Impactful Enterprises. So there are two brands at that time, um, The Right Touch and Chase Apparel, Motivational Apparel. Over time, it this came about when I started dealing with eczema, and this is Dr. Watts Natural Essential. So now it's Impactful Enterprises, a company for the people, by the people, and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But three brands, The Right Touch, Chase Apparel, um, and Dr. Walt's Natural Essentials, with the substratum, with the foundation of just wanting to help people. Now, is this something that you do by yourself, or you have like a team that works with you to, mm -hmm. to, to, to push all of your products? I have a team that works with me. Um, in resume writing, I have an editor. In Chase Apparel, of course, I have a printer, but then I have people in the background that help to package and sell when I go to vending events. Mm -hmm. And for this, this has been just been consuming a lot of the time. So now I have a social media manager. Um, um, what else? I have someone that helps with the actual packaging of it, graphic designer, mm -hmm. yeah, bookkeeper, about to tap into the accounting realm. So it's just, it's a whole lot that has been has pushed me to learn mm -hmm. self-development. It has been pushing me to constantly learn, constantly grow, and figure out more ways to be impactful. How, how did you, with the cream, because I was actually just rubbing the spot on my own where you let me test the cream. How, did you did you do all the research for it, or, mm -hmm. or how did you know what, what the right ingredients and everything? Listen, y'all better get on YouTube. <laughs> get on YouTube. But I'm... So YouTube was the foundation. What people really don't know is that although I launched my products officially in October of last year, October 28, 2018, um, I had been working on a recipe since November 2017. I was a couple thousand dollars in the hole already, just constantly looking at things at YouTube. So I would go and look at like a body butter recipe on YouTube. And once I tried it, I was like, I don't like how that feels. Really don't. Mm -hmm. So let me go find some other ingredients. So at first it was just honey, coconut, <coughs> oil, shea butter, and almond oil. Not almond, but olive oil. Mm -hmm. And I realized I didn't like the consistency. So I started watching podcasts. I started looking further along on YouTube just to figure out what other people were doing. And mm -hmm. my lab became, my kitchen became my lab. And that's why I started doing the experimenting. And what the interesting thing about it was everything I needed was already in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Honey. I mean, you eat honey. Right. I mean, coconut oil, olive oil. Some people use shea butter to cook. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of that I already had. So it was a matter of just playing with those ingredients, see how they interact. And the biggest lab was the people that I gave it to. to who did you eat that from? Who, who, was the, who were the people that you used for? Um, some close friends, for mm -hmm. one. Mom. Who actually took her um, a 
few months to use it. Why did it, why did it take her so long? She was, she was like, I'm not putting that stuff right. on my skin. I don't know what you got in there. And I'm like, I, you know what I got in here, but you go to Mary Kay and you trust these people exactly. and you don't know what they put in there. That's a fact. Well, they got a name for themselves. So it took her a while, just like a lot of other people. And, you know, we'll go places. We'll go to the mall and we'll go and get a piece of chicken that's on a little sample platter and taste it. And then we'll go to a, a different place. Different stores right there in the mall and let them put stuff on our hair, on our skin. But then when it comes down to skincare stuff that's natural, a lot of people are hesitant. And that's what I learned. And I had to be okay with that. So the people that helped me um, or trusted me to work through the process of figuring out what would work for them, that was close friends Mm -hmm. and some family members who did not say, I want to try it because I know you, but I want to try it because I see results in your skin. Mm -hmm. And it was honest feedback that they gave me. You know it was honest feedback. It was honest feedback. Um, Honest because, you know, family at large sometimes don't want to pay for it. Yep. Okay. And so when when they got to cough up money, when it's time to get feedback, you're going to get it all. Mm -hmm. And you got to be open to it and don't see it as I had to learn not to take feedback as criticism, but take it as information. Right. There's something about what they're saying that is information for me for, to use in order to self-development. Absolutely. Information that I could use in order to make these products what I'm doing better. So family and friends, and they, I got raw feedback. So going back to it, when you were doing your ingredients, how long did it take you to, until you figured out, you know, I got it, and this is, now I have something. When was that moment for you? Um, July of 2018. Mm-hmm. I went, I... So it didn't even have a name. I had been using it from like January of 2018 to July. And one day I decided to make a big batch because I knew I was going home and family had already been saying, hey, if you ever come home and you have some more, bring some for me. Mm -hmm. And um, I had like some little glass jars I got from Hobby Lobby because I thought they were real cute. And I put the product in it and I posted a picture on Facebook and I was like, Dr. Waltz, no, I put um, all natural body butter. And I was like, that don't ring a bell. I had just finished my PhD at Clemson. And I was like, I'll just put Dr. Walt on it. Well, I put Dr. Walt's body butter on. And they were like, yeah, that sounds good. Bring me some. I want some. And, I was like, and so I went home to sell it and sold out that weekend. Mm. And I was like, I, I must be on to something. Because right. they tried it. We were outdoors. It was melting a little bit. And I didn't like that dressed it since. Um, but it was melting some because it's butter in nature. And it was then that people kept coming back and saying, I want some more in July, August. I want more. I want more before I even launched it. That was the the moment to me that I realized I might have something here. I might be on to it. You said something earlier as well where you were like you were trying stuff that you kind of actually want like two thousand dollars in the hole. When you went that deep in the hole was it I a said moment a couple people? of a couple, a couple, and a couple are different. Mm. A couple are a little bit more than yeah. two thousand. It was well over three, close to four. Wow! And 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 during that time, was it a moment where you say when you get to a point where you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm just going too far. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. ready to stop. Because that. I didn't tally up until after I launched, mm. and I was like, let me see how much I spent on the launch party. Let me see how much I spent in the last year since I've been doing this at large. And when I went back, 
because I didn't know how to buy in bulk. I didn't know where to go. I didn't have connects. So it was like a small thing of honey for six dollars, mm-hmm. and then a sixteen ounce jar of olive oil for seven from Aldi or from Trader Joe's or um, from Whole Foods. So when I started shopping like that, when you go and you pick up $20 worth of stuff on Monday and then another 25 of stuff on Thursday, you really don't see the impact right. until you go back and you say, wait, I went two times to get $25 worth of stuff this week. That's 50. And I did it four times this month. That means I spent 200 this month. When you start adding up like that, that's when you notice the impact. So in the moment, that didn't matter to me. I was like, I'm on this up. I'm going to use what works for me. And that's all I was doing. I didn't realize that I had spent that much. And how, how many total products do you have right now? We have, we have right the cream. Right now, um, we have the body butters, all four cents. The beard butter, the two lip balms, rose water. Um, but there's also a coffee scrub and a different version of the rose water for people who are growing lots. Oh, okay. That's, that's getting ready to ask you what, what was the, uh, the, the, the rose water. Rose water. So yeah. rose water isn't a stringer and a toner. It is a... Um, more sophisticated version of witch hazel for people who use witch hazel. Mm-hmm. Some complaints that I've gotten from people who use witch hazel is I like it, I like how it works, but it's stink. Mm-hmm. Um, rose water, you don't have to worry about that feature. I didn't know what rose water was. I knew. So the way you are right now mm-hmm. is the way I was back in uh, August of 2018. Because I saw somebody saying I'm using rose water on these pimples and stuff. I, I don't know what that is. So I went looking it up and I found a whole bunch of websites talking about rose water. And I was like, where have I been? Of course, I didn't get it in school. So exactly. how should I know about rose water? Then I found out that ancient Egyptians were using it in various countries in Africa and that there are companies already selling rose water. And I was like, I've never heard of this. So then here I am spending more money, hop my little happy behind on over. The Whole Foods looking for roses and then calling floors. I'm like, I need things that are organic, that doesn't have chemicals. It was a process. And so it took me about three months to get my rose water together. I'm just curious. Um, um, I know Dr. Sebi, he, he he did a lot of this kind of stuff as well, like, like plant-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know seaweed, he said he can cure a lot mm-hmm. of different things. Did, did you kind of study anything that he had or did, were you um, knowledgeable any, about him at all? Because I was knowledgeable about Dr. Sebi, but I did not study him for Okay. Not for this. What's been your best method for uh, as far as like promotion? Social media. Social media has been the best best method. And if not social media, number two would be letting people try it. Mm -hmm. Because one thing social media does not give people the opportunity to do is put it on, smell it, feel it, experience it. Um, So, but social media allowed me to say, listen, I have it. So what I had to start doing is recording people and taking pictures of people who use it to show people, hey, it, it, it actually works. It helps. Did you actually have to go to like, I know you use family members, but would you ever at any point go up to like strangers and say, hey, would you mind trying this? Or I did I, that at vendor fairs, mm. like the Taylor's Farmer's Market. That's why mm. I started my first one with the products. And also as an entrepreneur, what do you say is the hardest part of being an entrepreneur? Keeping positivity in the forefront. Um, because, you know, like I said, in the moment where I was trying to develop the products, that was exciting. But when you get eight months in and you're like, every time I get money, I'm spending it again. 
that's when it's like, why in the world am I in it if I'm going to keep spending money this way? Um, so eventually, it, it that has been the hard part. Um, but what has made it easier is keeping people around me who believe in it. Mm-hmm. We got a few more questions, and, and, and then we'll get ready to wrap it up. It seems like you had to have like a, a sense of fearlessness as well because, like you said, you had to get out there and you had to push your product and get people to test it out. You had to, to talk to people and... And you, like you said, you went in the hole with money. Like, talk about this sense of fearlessness that you had to have as well. So instead of talking about fearlessness, I would rather talk about vulnerability mm-hmm. and risk taking. Mm-hmm. Because vulnerability suggests that fear is present, but you don't succumb to fear. Mm-hmm. So I was very fearful. <laughs> I was fearful that people would say, get out of my face. I was fearful that, you know, people would have all kind of outbreaks. I was fearful, very fearful. Mm-hmm. But I did not allow that to define my decisions. Mm-hmm. So that's how I ended up here. Do you feel like the PhD, having your PhD and as, and as educated as you are, you feel like that made people more comfortable testing your product? You know, I think so, though. I think mm-hmm. so. But when you put, um, hear me out, when you put... PhD on this skin at this age, it's like, well, how did you do that? Mm-hmm. Where's your credibility? Or even sometimes when I'm vending and I'm offering people a chance to try it, what I get is, so you're Dr. Wall. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh, really? And so then the conversation moves from because the they product, don't expect that. They yeah. don't expect that. Mm-hmm. A 27-year-old standing here who actually looks like he's probably 22 or 23 mm-hmm. Telling me he's Dr. Walt and he has a product for skin. That's a little weird. People did end up trying it though. Mm-hmm. And they still try it. Did, did that ever kind of rub you the wrong way when people did, did mm-hmm. that kind of stuff? I expected it because I know it's abnormal. It's not the norm mm-hmm. for people. My, my last two questions um, for anybody that wants to go the entrepreneurial route, what, what would you tell them to do? It's a good question. Um, be clear about your intent. Um, Plan as much as possible, but be very flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, be willing to fail. That is a recipe for success. Be willing to fail and make mistakes. Sometimes you win. Sometimes you learn. It's not that you lose. You just you learn. learn. Absolutely. Um, so be open as much as possible and keep a strong support system. Absolutely. My final question, what would you say is your ultimate goal? My ultimate goal is to make people better. Make people better all around. I love it. All right, Dr. Watt, well, I appreciate it. Um, real quick, before we get out of here, can you tell everybody how to find you and find your products? You can find my products on Instagram at Dr. Waltz, N-E. That's D-R-W-A-L-T-S-N-E. Or you can simply go to Dr. Waltz Natural Essentials on Facebook. Easily, you can tap onto the link, go to the website, subscribe for coupons. We send that out weekly. You will be amazed what this does for your skin. And look at the glow. This is all day. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Walt, again. And we're cool. Before we get out of here, I also want to thank our sponsors. Thank you to yes. Ms. Charlene Davis from Charlene's Home Cooking. Also, thank you, Marcus Burnett from SUV TV and Miss Sue Ham from, from Sue Ham Enterprises. Thank you so much. We, we love you guys. Thank you for supporting us. And also, you can find us on YouTube, um, SoundCloud, iTunes. We're, we are, we're officially on iHeartRadio now and Spotify. So 
Thank you guys for all your support. So until next time, keep chasing your dreams. This is Across the Line Podcast. Thank you for listening.